Hello and welcome to the Licensed to Queer podcast, where we're on a mission to uncover why James Bond appeals so much to LGBTQ plus people. Why not see 007 from a different angle? This is a bit of a weird one. <laughs> I decided to watch Diamonds of Forever on TV because it was being shown on TV two days before the premiere, the world premiere of No Time to Die. I thought it was brilliant that one of the biggest TV channels in the UK decided to show Diamonds of Forever of all films as the as the film so close to the release of the new Bond film 50 years later. I make no secret of my love for Diamonds of Forever. Everyone who has already listened to Licensed Queer podcasts or my appearances on other people's podcasts or has even just spent a few minutes on the website knows how much I love Diamonds of Forever. Part of that is because I always love championing an underdog and Diamonds Forever definitely fits that bill. It rarely appears high up most people's rankings. And the other reason is because I just genuinely love it as a film and I've always loved it since I saw it first as a, as a kid. I just think it's one of the funniest Bond films. It's also one of the most sinister Bond films. And I think it's just okay. Everyone <laughs> wants to hear my thoughts. This is Anthony. I think it's good. Um, it's probably one of my favourite Sean Connery's, but um, that's are... not saying a lot. The cats are giving their opinion Sean as well. Sean Connery isn't like not generally the Sean Connery films aren't normally my my top films, but I do think it's fun, and I do think it's got one of the best Bond girls ever in Plenty O'Toole. Plenty O'Toole. No, you mean Tiffany Case. Yeah, Tiffany Case, yeah, yeah. and I love the Tiffany. O and my one of my favourite bits is the Plenty O'Toole and the pervert. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, that's one of my favourite things. This is a pervert convention or like, something. Every single I can see that scene so many times, and it always makes me laugh. Yeah. Recently, so yeah, it's a good film. I I agree. Diamonds of Forever is more funny than most comedies, and I do get into this in some of my comments. So what I actually decided to do is rather than do a like um, talk through the entire movie, which would be incredibly long, and anyone who's already listened to the Really Double Seven podcast, which I did with those lovely guys on Diamonds Forever knows we talked for over 10 hours about Diamonds Forever. This is not that. This is, um, instead, what I decided to do was just uh, record. For as long as the ad break lasted, there were um, five ad breaks in Diamonds Forever, roughly every 20 minutes, although the last what the last stretch was 35 minutes without an ad break. All I did was turn the laptop on, record my impressions. I also was doing a... Um, I was also following along on Twitter because I announced that I was doing this at the very last minute. This was not planned. Uh, quite a few people got involved, which was really nice. And uh, I do shout outs to some of those during the during the recordings. Um, so, yeah, thank you to everyone who got involved uh, with that. This was legitimizing me watching Diamonds of Forever even though I have it on Blu-ray and DVD twice, and I think I've got it on VHS tape somewhere in the garage with all the stuff from my parents' house, <laughs> somewhere in the pile of Bond memorabilia that I still keep meaning to sort through. I think it's lovely to watch a Bond film 
or any film for that matter, knowing that other people are watching it, even if they're not in the room with you at the time. So, you know, I, you know, there must have been a few million people watching Diamonds Forever while I was watching it on TV live. And that gives it a certain frisson, a certain excitement. I think we all feel that it's that sense of community and particularly after everything we've been through for the last 18 months. I know that for a lot of people, Bond is that thing that's bringing them together and they're planning to watch No Time to Die with family in cinema. It's certainly what I'm planning to do, you know, taking it to a, a bit of an extreme, booking out a screen to watch No Time to Die with all of my family and friends who can who can make it um and this is sort of like uh we can we can do this whenever a bond film appears on tv so this podcast is what it is bit of an experiment might do this again might not <laughs> we'll see how it goes it's pretty raw and rough around the edges uh in fact um as soon as I started recording during the first ad break, weirdly enough, a motorbike went very, very loudly past our house. So we it does sort of fit with the first advert <laughs> that came on TV, which was Bond. Uh, and as we saw Bond driving his motorbike, there was someone going past my house on a motorbike very, very loudly. So if you're wondering what the heck is going on, I don't have a motorbike crashing through my living room like uh happens in tomorrow never dies <laughs> or anything along those lines it's literally just someone driving very badly and noisily past my house so there we are uh diamonds of forever talking through the adverts kind of thing here we go <laughs> Okay, I'm not watching No Time to Die, I'm watching Diamonds Forever on TV. <laughs> but there was the first advert, fittingly enough, was for No Time to Die. Uh, uh, this is the first time I've watched Diamonds Forever on TV since uh, I was about 10 years old, I think. Uh, although, obviously, uh, I recorded it off TV when I was a kid, because uh, I'm that generation where we recorded films uh, on VHS. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the ad break is in the same place <laughs> that it was in that VHS copy that I watched to death when I was a kid. So we're about, I think we're about only 20 minutes into the film. And although, obviously, I've seen this film probably 50 times by this point, maybe even a few more, I, I'm always surprised by how quickly it moves. So we've had 
the pre-titles mud pies 007 we had the title sequence obviously we had the, that brilliant bit about sherry where he's he's kind of schooling m on vintages of sherry um dodgy dentists we've got the gay assassins winton kid we had the exploding helicopter we've had the exposition around smuggling which is so interestingly handled you've got this kind of big exposition scene but there's all these cutaways to what they're talking about and it keeps bringing it back i always find that sequence is is so interesting in the way it's structured we've got the suspect septuagenarian mrs whistler and then we've got one of what i think is one of the best money penny sequences are some i know some people find it quite difficult to handle that she's talking about marriage and whatever but um especially as this is the film after on a Majesty's secret service but we just don't really uh, pay attention to continuity back then. I didn't when I was a kid anyway. I didn't link those films together. So that's never been a problem for me. We've got the brilliantly sassily scored hovercraft as Bond leaves from Dover, which <laughs> doesn't look that glamorous, I suppose, without the John Barry music. But I still want to go on a hovercraft one day because of that sequence. And we've got the introduction to Tiffany Case. I still can't believe they pack all of this into 20 minutes. It's mad. We have the collars and cuffs exchange. The dialogue in that sequence is just sublime. And then we have the phone call to Q uh, after the um, uh, fake fingerprints. And then the revelation that Peter Franks has escaped, taking it into the ad break. So ITV are structuring this around sort of cliffhangers we'll see if they manage to do that for the rest of the film as regular licensed queerers will know i love this film so much even though a lot of people don't and it's probably my favorite connery movie and i've explored this in length at length in articles and i, I spoke for more than 10 hours about it on the really 007 podcast with those great guys but I, I just can't resist watching it when it's on TV with the ad breaks in. Maybe that's sort of nostalgia at work because that's how I always used to watch the new Bond movies. I know Mark O'Connell, um, the very famous Bond commentator, he says that um, talking about how he did the same thing um, and he watched each of the Bond movies as they appeared in random order on TV that he, he took, calls that process catching bullets and I can definitely relate to that when I read Mark's book I was like oh yeah yeah that's that's exactly how I kind of felt about catching each of the films on TV and there were some films that were just not on that often things like For Your Eyes Only Diamonds Forever was on quite a lot, I seem to remember, but it tended to be on quite late at night, and I totally get that because there are some sequences in this which I don't think I'd want a small child to watch. Um, and already we've had a substantial cut from the pre-title sequence when uh, Bond asked Marie to get something off her chest. Anyway, the film's about to resume. Catch you the next ad break. Whoa, another... <laughs> packed 24 minutes of Diamonds of Forever or less actually and wow another packed 20 minute chunk of Diamonds of Forever I really don't understand why people don't like this film 
I think a couple of highlights for me are seeing a lot more Winton Kid in that real relationship that they have, even down to uh, one being jealous of the other when um, they comment on how attractive Tiffany seems to be. And the whole uh, funeral sequence, the whole Slumber Inc. sequence is, is both hilarious and absolutely horrifying. When I saw this as a kid, I was quite traumatised by the almost being burned alive in a coffin sequence. And I know I'm not alone in that regard. It's just, yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't like this film because it's, it is that real um, mix of tones which you get with all Bond films. It's just that this film is incredibly concentrated. As we say, we're only about 40 minutes into the running time of the film, really. And already we've, we've gone to so many different locations. And I know that kind of calms down a bit, and that's a, that's a Bond sort of convention that you jump around a lot for the first half and then you kind of settle into the locations in the second half but Diamonds Forever really does jump around quite a lot. Uh, I think the slumbering sequence is so polished and I think the performances are so good because if, if I'm correct I think that was the last sequence that was actually shot on the movie so everyone was probably determined to kind of give it their best shot and there's loads of publicity images from that sequence as well if you go on the Thunderballs website for instance so uh, they were having an awful lot of fun when they were shooting that sequence and I think that comes across and I really don't get the criticisms that Sean Connery is phoning in in this film. I've talked about this at length previously, but I think that that 20 minute chunk we've just watched is is um, a masterclass in how to make things look effortless, even though they aren't. I really, really like the pause that Connery gives and you can see him working things out as Plenty O'Toole introduces herself and there's that like two, three second gap between he says, named after your father perhaps. It's it's just such a small thing, but I think they all add up and this, this film is full of those little moments which really um, are quintessential Bond moments, but they're specifically quintessential Connery moments. So yeah, I, I, never, I never buy the criticism that Sean's sleepwalking through this movie. Uh, a few people are following along on Twitter uh, with this as well. Um, Shaggy the Tyke, at Shaggy the Tyke on Twitter says, Sean in the coffin is up there with Jaws walking down the alley in Rio. There's moments that scared me to death as a kid, so I'm glad I'm not alone in that regard. And um, Andy Town says, the movie's so goofy that Ted Moore, um, who uh, was an Academy Award winner, doesn't get enough credit for the moody cinematography. The more movies were much brighter, but shots like this show a weird, decadent world. Wow, that's a really eloquent analysis of the cinematography. Um, I actually love that. It is a really, really good looking film. I know that it looks scuzzy at times, and I think that's a conscious style choice. Bond's working his way through the underworld compared with a lot of the movies. But I think it's also a really moody and atmospheric movie. Anyway, it's about to continue. There's something 
ITV are doing a really good job of choosing where the ad breaks go. Uh, so Bond and Tiffany have just escaped from the Willard White Research Lab. Uh, yeah, the moon buggy happened. I don't get why people don't like the moon buggy. It seems like the most sensible option for going through a desert terrain. It's not that dissimilar from the moon, I think. Not that I'm an expert on moon terrain. But I love that sequence, the way that Bond blags his way into the lab um, as Klaus Hergesheimer, after talking to the real Klaus Hergesheimer. This is definitely where the film um, takes uh, a turn into the fantastic, uh, not just the moon buggy. Uh, although that is the point where, when my husband's watching this film with me, he says that this film is bizarre. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure... I don't think he's alone in that one, to be perfectly honest. And the whole circus circus section as well. They're using the weird sideshow of a... Oh, Bond again. There we go. Oh, it's the Amiga advert this time. I don't think I've seen this yet, actually. This is making me want to buy a new watch, of course. Which is the aim. I think I'll stick with my existing Seamaster for now. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. But uh, where was I? Yeah, so the whole Circus Circus section with him escaping during that bizarre state sideshow where a woman turns into a gorilla um, <laughs> obviously a bit uncomfortable nowadays and that's something we talked about on the Reading 007 podcast quite a lot uh, there's quite a few people who are doing the watch along now actually uh, particularly Tom Mason has been commenting right from the beginning and typically witty manner um, so that's lovely great to see I think Diamonds Forever is starting to be a little bit rehabilitated I know there are some of us who have always loved it but it's nice to see people uh, even a few people who are saying like uh, the Bondi and Cold War uh, saying that uh, they didn't they'd forgotten quite how funny uh, this film was so that's that's really nice let's just see who else is commenting along as we go got you've know, got people lots of people saying that it's quite funny i think that's probably I, I don't know i i never get that bond is not funny i think bond has always been humorous certainly in the films i know ian fleming noted that the films weren't uh, uh kind of as as po-faced as his books although one of the things i've noticed is that i'm rereading only twice at the moment and i think that fleming started to introduce some of the comedy from the films into those last few books which were written while after the the first few couple of films had come out so I think humor's always been a part of it. I think it's best to see Diamonds Forever as primarily a comedy first, with really a dark comedy, because obviously there's all those um, sinister elements. Jordan Welsh, Jordan underscore Welsh, on Twitter says the, the sequence at the petrol station, you had your chance and you blew it. 
and the attendant looking on absolutely perplexed gets him every time. It's a, it's a, it's a great comic moment. Love it. And there's currently an advert for something with Gordon Ramsay uh, on the televisions. So uh, I think that means we're about to resume. We're back to Vegas. I was just out walking my rat and I seem to have lost my way. Another um, great choice of where to put the ad break after that amazing line. So the villain has been revealed to be Shokara all along and Stavro Blofeld. Who isn't in hell, uh, having been melted by mud by Bond. I'm I'm always interested um, in in how much that was kind of kept secret at the time. I suppose without social media and um, you would only see trailers on uh, the cinema, so you wouldn't see them repeatedly. But would audiences have actually realised that? have more than just a couple of minutes in the movie at the beginning because obviously you kind of couldn't pull that off nowadays we all know what happened with Spectre and Blofeld there and it wasn't hardly a surprise that Oberhauser turned out to be Blofeld um, so it is quite interesting how Bond thinks Willard White is the antagonist I thought after the moon buggy chase and uh, before the next car chase that follows immediately afterwards he thinks that willard white is controlling the police so it's really interesting that we're led to believe that willard white is potentially the villain until it is revealed to be blofeld i think charles grace blofeld is the best blofeld because i like those kind of waspish um very um verbal characters uh, all the witty banter and put downs i love all that i'm not alone on that at lionel twig on twitter okay countess dracula says uh, that's the best blowfield as well the voice the suave to the humor oh yes so i totally agree with them needless to say i've written quite a bit about charles gray blofeld uh, also shout out to at shawnee bird who uh, I, I believe he's now out of bed but this is the reason he got out of bed to do a watch along of diamonds forever um so uh, well done uh for for getting out of bed um diamonds of february is always a reason to break off whatever you're doing uh, and so that's great <laughs> we've just got to the point where winton kid have come back and it's one of my favorite moments where they snigger to each other after placing him in the pipeline i know it's a horribly inefficient way of killing someone but it is also quite nasty and they're getting off on how nasty it is and seems to be the thing they enjoy doing together as a couple and you know i'm not going to judge i'm really not going to judge so i've written at length about winter kid as well and how much i love them as characters and i'm not going to repeat all that stuff here but uh I know that some people jump to the conclusion that queer audiences, particularly gay men, might find them too problematic for comfort, but I've never felt that really. It was always, you know, 
representation and some rep any representation is better than none even if it's uncomfortable at times there's some great cat action in here as well my cats are asleep while i'm watching this so they haven't woken up and begged for food yet but i'm going to guarantee that's going to happen at some point before the end of diamonds forever we've got another 40 minutes left including perhaps uh, yeah one more ad break to so about every 20 minutes at the moment uh thomas mason again thomas mason 91 on twitter comments that he loves in the shots with them both that the blow fell at the desk is very clearly just a wax mannequin so the shots with two blow fells. you know what i've never actually noticed that and i almost don't want to go back and check but i have a feeling next time i watch this movie I'm not going to be able to avoid uh, looking at that. And uh, at Not Perfected Yet, John, who has written for the website, says, Best cat for sure. So Diamonds Forever is definitely a film for cat lovers. And we're back. Speaking of which, there's a cat there. Oh, how cute. It's having its dinner. Blofeld, responsible pet owner. best version of the Bond theme for me. Sneaky Bond, Pink Tie, that score, just, oh. We didn't get another ad break. spent the last 15 years being the world's most famous spy, and tonight we look back at his time being James Bond at 20 past 10. But we do get a trail for being James Bond. And they're talking through the end credits. <laughs> it's amazing what we used to put up with when we were kids uh, watching films. At least they go back to it for the very last bit. So, yeah, that was an experience watching Diamonds of Forever for the first time in um, nearly three decades. Uh, that sounds weird, but nearly three decades uh, on TV. Um, it, again, I think this film is, a lot of people fight, say that this film is quite slow and difficult to get through. I'm, I mean, each to their own, but I don't get that at all. If you think about everything that happens in that last, th it's 35 minutes since the last ad break. You've just, you've got um, the revelation of what's actually going on with the plot, which is kind of, almost incidentally in a way i love the kind of offhand way that they explain uh what's going on in baja california and the satellite and you've got that wonderful sequence where they destroy three pieces of military hardware um which is um kind of preempts the line from blofeld later about uh the world powers flexing their muscles like impotent beach boys he's already shown them that they're completely powerless against him which i love um all of blofeld's lines in this last 35 minutes are hilarious um there's a bit of menace there but you know you don't need to 
be menacing to be an interesting character. Uh, I know that people criticise this film for Tiffany losing some of her agency because she's around in a bikini, but very quickly we come to realise she's on Bond's side and she's determined to do what she can. And she does do her best. On the TV version, they did cut out the 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 B word, B-I-T-C-H. They, they did cut that out, which I, I don't think the film really loses anything by, by having that cut. There was also another cut, um, more significantly towards the end. Again, I understand why they did it, but where um, Mr. Kidd gets um, uh, flambéed, essentially, when he gets set fire to, um, all of that was cut. And so it cuts straight to bond gesturing and then him jumping over the side so Diamonds forever he's a fairly unpalatable bond film for a sunday afternoon for a lot of people um and i i'm sure those bits were actually in the film that i watched when i was a kid even if i was watching it during the day so i know attitudes have changed and um i know the british board of film classification in this country re-rated Diamonds of Forever a few years ago famously so they actually increased the rating whereas the tendency for most films is to go down when they get re-rated go down a certificate and it's it's been um, rated up because of its uh, because of those um, particularly sexist moments including the Marie one at the start and also its stereotypical treatment of gay characters I know gay audiences at the time found that last scene where Bond takes glee in killing Winton Kidd uh, very difficult to watch. And it's just the, the Bomber Surprise bit, which is kind of funny, but also an attack on um, the male anatomy, which I've explored in a few articles and on the Really 007 podcast as well. So I won't go into that now. Uh, anyway, I um, this was the first time I've ever talked about a film while it's been live on tv it might be the last time as well i don't know i just thought you might be interested um i couldn't resist really watching not watching this film as it as it appeared live on tv it's something it, uh, lovely about watching a bond film when you know lots of other bond fans are watching and there were quite a few people who were following along on um on my twitter as well uh, which was really, really nice. Um, so thank you if you contributed. And perhaps we might do another one of these in the future. You can find dozens of articles written from queer points of view about James Bond on licensedtoqueer.com, where you will also find nearly 50 cocktail recipes. So there's another reason to visit. You can also find us on social media at License to Queer. And if you ever want to contribute, please don't hesitate to get in touch.